Show Me The Money, the podcast that looks at the business side of movies and TV with me, Jess Robinson, and him, Stephen Follows. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Are you somewhere glamorous today? Absolutely not. I'm in London. It's, hey! all, it's all wet and cold, and, and, I, and I don't know what happened. I've been in hotter climes, nicer places, and now I'm home, and I, I, somehow I've got it wrong. Have you, though, because you're bringing a bit of sunshine to the podcast, at least? Mm, all right, fine. I'll take it. Okay, well, I'll do that then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we've, got some, uh, we've got some really good stories, she said, slightly hungover from the bank holiday. Uh, we've got three great stories today, um, and this first one's quite interesting. Uh, the big movie industry convention, CinemaCon, which I want to know lots about, took place last week in Las Vegas. What did we learn? Oh, we learned a lot. We basically did learned we? that the same kinds of things that impress cinema goers also impress people that own many cinemas. So, like, there's lots of trailers and stunts and stuff, and I'll I'll tell you about some of them in a minute. And they they yeah. they sort of made all the cinema owners really happy. And but um, it's it's got loads. It's one of these stories that's got loads of little details that make you go, wait, what? And so, number one, it's run by NATO. Not that NATO. What? Not that NATO. Okay. <laughs> this is the National Association of Theatre Owners. So okay. just for clarity, when I say NATO for the next 10 minutes, <laughs> not that NATO. Um, this is a slightly more organised NATO uh, that is uh, more focused at achieving their goals. This is, uh, the, yeah, the National Association of Theatre Owners. So this is uh, a trade group for cinemas. Um, but they also represent, uh, you know, things that are slightly out from that, like some of the... Uh, the interests of uh, the suppliers of snacks and things at cinemas and things like that. But it's very much about going to the movies and the, and the building of cinemas. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, they're primarily a, a North American group, but they also have international members. And this is uh, this is in Las Vegas. And so this is in Caesars Palace. Um, and it happens every year. It used to be called Show West. And then maybe 10 years ago, they changed it to CinemaCon, which mm-hmm. I, I got to say that the word con is not a good word. I don't know why they no. what what con they're organizing in Vegas, but I've seen Ocean's Eleven. But um, <laughs> and whatever whatever they're organizing, that's what it is. But they have people from all over the world, and they and they you know it's the big trade show for the industry. And so this was a particularly important one. Well, at least it felt like it because it was cancelled two years ago, and then last year it was very subdued and. Um, it was bizarre because last year people were saying, OK, well, we will go. But, you know, COVID's making us a bit worried. So we'll have our meetings outside. We'll have our meetings outside. And then there were loads of forest fires in the, in the area. And so the pollution was terrible. And it was one of those post-apocalyptic things where they're like, don't go inside because of the deadly virus. Don't go outside because of the deadly fumes. <laughs> and so the fact that they could like turn up in en masse in Vegas, most people weren't wearing masks. And they could talk about these exciting new movies that were coming out. And they could talk about some of the changes in the industry and stuff like that. And there's been a few movies that have performed really well in the last 12 months and stuff. So everyone was just a massive smile on their face. And you could see it because they weren't wearing masks. So, hmm. so there, yeah, there were some really interesting things that came out of it. So uh, one of the big things that's been happening in the well, so we, in the movie industry, we call it theatrical because it's movie theatres. So theatrical yeah. means putting you know, movies and cinemas. And so in the theatrical space, the biggest battle over the last sort of 10 years or so has been what's called windowing, which is the window of release, the time between when it's available exclusively in the cinema and then when it's available on some other big channel, 
like you know it might right. be on Netflix DVD whatever or on yeah, sale yeah which must have changed a lot in the last 10 years yeah they've they've really compressed i mean i remember um being a kid there was all there was a big amount of time between when it was in cinemas and when, the, yeah. when first it was rental on video and then purchase on video and all of those gaps between those big different um like release formats got smaller and smaller and smaller. Yeah. The rental window disappeared. Blockbuster disappeared. And so cinemas oh, got nervous. Blockbuster. <laughs> this brings back some memories, does it? Do this- you know what I used to do when I was a kid? This is a ridiculous thing to confess. But my I was an only child. And my favorite game when I was about, I don't know, eight, nine years old was um, tapping away on my dad's Amstrad and playing Blockbuster Video and just pretending to work behind the counter <laughs> at Blockbuster Video. So what you, a saddo. Your, your dream was was an entry-level job, minimum yeah. wage, zero-hour contract. Yeah. Hmm. And look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, please continue. <laughs> you know, there's one, blockbuster, lane. there's one Blockbuster left in the world and we're going to do a GoFundMe to send Jess there. <laughs> To work, so I can to, work for to, a day. To, to be clear, you're going to have to work for it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so so the window of release, so the amount of time between when it's in the cinema and when it's on a next big format. I mean, it's on mm-hmm. like airlines and hotels between that, but that's a really small yeah. window that everyone sort of ignores. And so like before the pandemic, it got squeezed down to 90 days. So in the US, it was about it was about four months here, but that's about three months. And so that was the hard line that the that the cinemas, NATO, not that NATO, uh, drew and said to the studios, no, no less than that. And then during the pandemic, they couldn't release things in cinemas. And so all the cinemas tried different, oh, sorry, all the studios tried different things, different streaming mm. platforms, premiering on, on streaming and things. And uh, the cinemas at the time said, well, we know you don't have a choice, but this is a problem. We're going to have to ping back. And where we've settled on at the moment is a 45-day window. So That's it's nothing. Yeah, it's not very much. It's like a month and a half, right? Six weeks between when it's right. first in the cinema and when it's available to buy in some other format, which is usually premium PVOD, we call it, premium VOD, premium video on demand, where you can spend mm-hmm. 15 pounds or whatever and yeah. get the premiere of it. And so the cinemas are quite happy with that. I mean, they'd obviously prefer it to be bigger, but they also know that the direction of travel beforehand was moving anyway. So this has given them permission to sort of slip, you know, and say, okay, mm. well, now we agree this. Um, and also, they're just really glad that a lot of the experiments that the studios did in 2001, sorry, uh, 2021, uh, haven't stuck around. So Warner Brothers announced in in uh, for 2001, I keep doing this, 2021, the, the pandemic screwed my ability to know what years are. Um, but uh, yeah, so they, they did this experiment where the films went primarily out onto HBO Max at the same time they're in cinemas, like June and The Matrix and stuff. And um, the, not only have Warner Brothers said they won't do that again, they've also apologized for doing it which is like a big step. Um, and so the cinema industry is saying, okay, well, what we call day and date, when the movie's available on two platforms on the same time, so in cinemas and on streaming on the same day released, uh, day and date is dead, they're saying, and, and they're saying that you know simultaneous release is not a serious business model, as the president of NATO said this. And he said piracy is what killed it, because the idea is that once you can't really... It's very hard to steal a film from a cinema. You have to video yeah. it. And even then, it, they have tracking um, codes and stuff in the movie that they can see right. who, exactly what screening it was. Oh. Um, uh, but when it comes to being on HBO Max or Netflix, or whatever, it's trivial to be able to, you know, like rip it and then put it online and stuff. So that was the one of the big stories. They were saying, right, cinema's back. That's kind of cool. 
and it was the same week that Netflix uh, had those uh, had all the the drop in their shares that we talked about last week. Yes, yeah, and then yeah. they've since then said they had to let some start, um, people go, and they've even cancelled Meghan Markle's animated series, which seems to be some sort of bellwether for for their success. But um, okay. yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's just a juicy story. But they've been cancelling a lot of projects and TV shows and animations stuff. So anyway, so it was the cinema industry was very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there was some more subtle stories that were kind of cool. So uh, the mid-budget film, so we can all imagine tiny budget films and there's lots of them and they're scrappy and every now and then one of them really breaks out. And then there's these huge movies, these blockbusters or we call them tentpoles because they're the kind of main releases each year that the studios have that all of the other releases sort of come down like a, you know, like a tentpole in the middle of a um, yeah. circus tent. And so uh, over the last decade or two, there's been fewer and fewer mid-budget movies And people have been complaining about this. And actually, a lot of the studios said, no, we're going to do more um, like diverse films, smaller budget films. And so uh, and and Baz Luhrmann, who's who's made the upcoming biopic of Elvis, had a lovely quote. He said, man cannot live by Batman alone. (laughs) <laughs> it was beautiful. Um, so this is like under $50 million movies and they're going to come back to theatres and to cinemas. And so that's kind of cool because it means that we're going to have more movies uh, or at least a more a wider range of movies. You know, you don't want Great. Harry Potter in screens one to eight. You want it in maybe I mean, one to six. Yeah, yeah, you do. Because <laughs> you want exactly the time that you want to see it. But but maybe, you know, we want other ones in there as well. So Definitely. So that was pretty cool. Um, That's very cool, yeah. And then th- what they do as well is that uh, they show preview footage of new movies coming out and they announce new movies. And so there was uh, they showed footage of the next Avatar film. He shot, I actually can't remember, three or four of them back to back and they're coming out over the next two years apart over the next cool. yeah so many so this way of the water so that and that's interesting because it's three it was all 3d and 3d's kind of disappeared so we'll see if he pushes it back mm-hmm. um the first full screening of top gun maverick um mm-hmm. and jurassic world and but w- what was really interesting was that they also have these kind of like movie star moments where a lot of the movie stars turn up and this is an audience you have to remember people are paying like a thousand dollars to be there or between five hundred and a thousand dollars to be there they have to fly to vegas and all that and they and, and you have to be accredited and stuff so these are all professionals in the cinema business and they're screaming like girls at a at a beatles concert at the, really? rock, uh, at the rock coming out because the rock i mean they, the thing is that this is show business times 10 because it's show business for show business and so the rock pretended that he wasn't there and he did like a a video, sorry, I can't be with you, I'm in Hawaii. And then he came out on stage and everyone went, oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> and then uh, Steve Carell was there promoting Rise of the Minions, uh, Rise of Gru, the, the next Minions film. And he oh. got, um, there's a Canadian cinema owner who does a very good Gru impression. So the two of them were on stage giving each other tips. Um, and so there's, and then uh, for Top Gun, uh, Tom Cruise did a video. Uh, I don't know if it was actually live or it was just recorded, but he's in a plane talking to camera and he stands up on his seat. And then the director of Mission Impossible in another plane comes into frame and says, we have to get back to filming. Uh, so it's all kind of bonkers stuff. But also like the real world got really strange as well because uh, Olivia Wilde is, is giving a, a talk and somebody hands her an envelope. Someone walks from the audience and like puts a, an envelope by her feet that says private and confidential. And so she picks it yes. up, looks at it and puts it back and just holds it and carries on with her speech. Very professional. It turns out that she just got served. Yes, uh, which is our second story. You've done a beautiful segue <laughs> there. Tell me about this. It's very dramatic. Yeah, it is. It's it's kind of... um. 
it's one of those unfortunate things where like someone's private life has spilled over. So mm-hmm. she was married to um, Jason Sudeikis, who, who who was in Saturday Night Live and loads of other movies and probably best known more recently for Ted Lasso. And they've got a custody battle. And, and you know, as all these things, it's none of our business and it's all theirs. But it somehow the reason it sort of well, partly it's a salacious story, but partly also it's an issue of security because this person was an accredited person. They still don't know who it was as well. They have video footage of this woman and she had a badge. And but um, last I heard, they couldn't work out who had done this. But somebody whose job it was to serve papers to a movie star, which can't yeah. be the easiest thing in the world, no. because how do you get access? Has saw that Olivia Wilde was doing this um, talk and thought, I'm just going to get accredited and go. And so somehow they went there and they serve papers, and so. I mean, but Jason Sudeikis said, like, it yeah, I know it's, I mean, it's, it's bonkers really, because also it's not, it's, there's no way it's a deliberate thing. And, and also no one comes out of it that well. And even, I mean, Jason Sudeikis said he had no idea. And I, I believe him, you know, you don't Do know. You? How, well, you, he's not in charge of this stuff. Like the person that's in charge no, to serve the papers true. isn't going to check with him. <clears throat> no, that's um, true. But yeah, so that was kind of weird. But, but that kind of aside, the, the whole CinemaCon was, was a huge success and loads of new movies were announced and everything's getting excited everyone's getting excited going back to um cinemas um although obviously it is a trade show and it is an echo chamber so we have yes. no idea like w- whether it's just enthusiasm and it's show business people being very good at show business um and we're all sort of drinking the kool-aid or whether actually this is the you know, everything's back as it was and business as usual who, who knows are there any particular um uh, films that you are, Stephen, looking forward to? Well, I'm a big fan of the Mission Impossible series. I think they um, yeah. they keep becoming more and more ridiculous. And so they announced the... I mean, this is this is how the, holiday, the movie industry is so good at. They, they announced the name of the next one as if it's like big news. And I'll be honest, I can't help but be like, oh, that's exciting. It's not news. Like, it's not exciting to get the news, but it's called Dead Reckoning Part 1. Ooh. I know. Um, but then there were loads of others as well. There's, there's Lightyear that's coming out, which is the mm-hmm. Buzz Lightyear prequel, which is kind of cool. Um, yeah, there's another Jurassic World. And there's a Hunger Games prequel as well, isn't there? Is there? I didn't know about that. I, I haven't watched any of the Hunger Games. I think I've watched the first what? 10 minutes of the first one. And I just, it wasn't. Didn't get on with it. It just didn't, it wasn't for me. And I, and I don't know, quite, I wasn't appalled by it, but I just don't remember watching any more of it. Um, the thing that I watched um, recent, well, I've watched the Batman and I've watched Spider Man No Way Home this last weekend, but not Sonic, well. not Sonic Two. That was your homework still not from last Sonic week. Two. Bums. Come on, two weeks. I'll have to wait till it's streaming. <laughs> yeah, won't be very long. So uh, you know they don't tend to announce the streaming dates very early. Otherwise, you might be doing exactly what you're doing, which is like, oh, it's been in the cinema a few weeks. Maybe I'll check when it's available to stream <laughs> because if it's only a few weeks, you'll wait. And they try not yeah. to announce it. But realistically, I would expect. Probably the beginning of the summer holidays, right? So five, six weeks from now, when the summer holidays start, kids' movies will become more available. Because what else are you going to do with the kids? Just oh, I can wait. I can wait. I'm not desperate <laughs> to see it. I'm, going, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, our second story. Uh, the director of the latest movie in the Fast and Furious franchise has stepped aside just a week into production. And that could be very costly for Universal and the studio making it. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's one of these things where it's kind of like he said, he said, and it's a lot of egos. I mean, this this whole series, Fast and the Furious franchise, has had loads of like egos, and it's very sort of male. Well, I mean, what and... number are we on now? Fifty. <laughs> well, th- well, this one was called Fast X, 
Um, and I think it was going to be in two parts. And, and it's so it's this is Justin Lin, who's directed most of them, I think, and the most successful ones. Or maybe not mm-hmm. the most successful one. Um, and he's they've announced that he's going to be replaced by uh, Louis Le Touré, who did the Incredible Hulk and the Transporter films and stuff. Um, but I, I have prepared, and you don't know this, I have prepared a quiz for you. This is a, Ooh, a th- oh three-part Fast and the Furious quiz for you. Oh my God, I've never even seen it. Okay, I know. So <laughs> I thought you hadn't. I just, <laughs> excellent. That's what I was hoping. Right. Oh God. So there are 10 films that have already been released in the, in the, in the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. And so my question number one, what... What number release was Tokyo Drift? Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Oh, God. I, I haven't even heard of it. Um, five. No, it was three. Oh, that's a shame. Okay. Uh, what <laughs> What number was the Fate of the Furious? <laughs> um, four. No, it was eight. Okay. <laughs> Last one. So what great. number out of this 10-part series was F9? The Fast Saga. Right. Well, it's not going to be nine, is it? It's just not. Because <laughs> why would you ask me such an obvious question? Might be a double bluff. Oh, I mean, don't you, be a you'd, double look, bluff. you'd look like a real fool. I think it was number ten. One. Three. <laughs> seven. <What> the- <laughs> eight. I'm going for eight. I have to take your final first answer. And I can confirm exclusively that you are correct. It was number 10. So yes. um, (laughs) Fast. So F9, the the Fast Saga, is the 10th one. And the uh, Fast X Part 1 is going to be the 11th, which means Fast X Part 2 will be the 12th when it comes out. Because there was a spin-off one called Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw um, with The Rock and Jason Statham. So this is all in the franchise. So So just for the completists amongst you, here is the list. You've got The Fast and the Furious, Too Fast, Too Furious, they're, they're, they're numbers. Then The Fast and the Furious, colon, Tokyo Drift. Uh, number four is Fast and Furious. So they, they took away the this. So, it, you know, and then you got Fast Five, Fast and Furious Six, Furious Seven. So they stopped being fast at that point. I'm not sure. Then uh, eight was The Fate of the Furious. And then the ninth of the spin-off one, Fast and the Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. And then the one that came out uh, in 2021 was F9, The Fast Saga. Uh, wow. So there we go. There'll be, a, there'll be a quiz at the end to see if you've remembered. But, but, but going what back What certificate to, are these? Well, they're kind of like 12s and 15s, I think. Because the thing is, they are for... I mean, they're not only for teenage boys because they're so big, they have to appeal to a bigger audience. But obviously, there is a younger, more male skew on these. Yeah. But they were origin, originally sort of like... Um, kind of heist film well they were they were more like driving films and then at some point i think around fast five they had to become more like these james bond mission impossible huge kind of round the world kind of like scheme kind of films like almost like spy films and they have a lot of spies in them and stuff and the last one uh the most re- the most previous the most recent one genuinely has two people driving a cadillac in space <laughs> like i you can't make it up like there's nothing about these that are not Ridiculous, but they're huge as well. They make so much money. Like so, together the whole thing has grossed six point six billion dollars just in cinemas, and so it's massive. So there's a lot of pressure on these. And what happened apparently here is that uh, the director and um, Vin Diesel both disagreed about the script, and and uh, I think this. Justin Lin, the director, co-wrote the script, but he didn't have one of the old characters in it. And Vin Diesel, who seems to be quite had quite a lot of control over the franchise. He even tweeted that he was disappointed that she wasn't, this character wasn't in it. And so just a week into filming, 
uh, they've replaced the director. And it, it kind of speaks to this idea that movie stars control franchises more than the yeah. director, which yeah. is kind of fascinating. And so it's the same for like Mission Impossible. Tom Cruise is more of a force than Christopher Condry, who's directed the most recent ones. And Ryan Reynolds in Deadpool, like he managed to get the director replaced for the second one. And so, yeah, but it's, it's, it's funny because the main production will have shut down at least briefly and that will cost mm-hmm. maybe a million dollars a day because of all the people they've got on retainer and all these things they've rented. But not all of the filming will stop because m- most big films have what they call like a second unit. And sometimes they have other units as well. But this is people who are shooting the, the stuff without the stars in it. And so there, there might be close-ups of things or cutaways. But in the case of action movies, it's all of the action. So the actual main director isn't shooting the action. I mean, it might be if it's Michael wow, Bay. but okay. Yeah, so like, um, and if they have, they might have an aerial unit, someone who's very good at shooting like aerial mm-hmm. shots or an underwater mm-hmm. unit or whatever. So this, there's a there's a unit in the UK doing a lot of the, the driving stuff, you know, the, the drivey drivey stuff. That's the technical term. Um, yeah. And that stuff will just carry on <laughs> because the director is, not only can be replaced by the stars, isn't even shooting every frame like it's weird. Christopher Nolan is one of those unusual directors where every single frame in the film he was in charge of, and right. you'd assume that, but that's actually kind of unusual, that's unusual. and that's seen as a bit of a control freaky kind of thing. Mm. Um, so, and it's why the Bourne film, you know, when the the Bourne the Bond uh, Casino Royale onwards, it looked yes. a lot like the Bourne films, even though they had different main directors. It's because they had the same second unit directors, mm. and so actually it kind of was some of the same people making it. Um, but um, but I, I went through and I because I, I remember hearing about other directors being fired. So I did a bit of research for you because I know you like me to do my yes, homework. Please. One of us has to. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not everyone can be. Not, not everyone can do it. You know, some, some have to let the side down. Some have to be teacher's pet. So uh, we, we've, we've got our roles. Um, I'm on the bottom table. Bottom set. <laughs> well, um, so I, I'm Bohemian Rhapsody that came out, the, the Queen film fairly recently. So yeah. Brian, Brian Singer is the credited director, um, but he actually was replaced before filming was completed with two weeks left by uh, Dexter Fletcher. But what happens is, so let's when you have a replacement of a director, the Directors Guild of America, the DGA, if it's a studio film, the DGA, mm-hmm. will be in charge of who gets the credit. Uh, they are the union and everyone agrees to let them decide. And they say that a film can only have one director. That's just their, that's their philosophy. That's their, that's they insist on that. So it's unusual. The Coen brothers get exceptions, but almost everyone else. So when you've had a director replaced some of the way through filming, so one director planned it, cast it, and then did some of the filming. And then the second director carried on the filming and then did the editing. Mm-hmm. It becomes a really interesting question as to who should be um, yeah, who should be credited? Who should be officially the director? It should be the person that completes the project, I think. Even if someone else shot it. So, where, I mean, obviously it's an arbitrary line, but what do you reckon? Yeah, yeah at, what, at what point? Yeah. The person that does over 50%. Yeah, and, and that is part of, the, part of the criteria they use. <clears> so <throat> on Solo, uh, the two directors were replaced um, and they, uh, they, the studio did it on the day they knew they needed to to get the cutoff to allow right. Ron Howard to get the credit. And so, uh, but it's also like Richard Donner had it on Superman where they shot Superman 1 and 2 back to back and he had shot around 75% of the sequel and then he was fired because he was apparently spending too much money and they wanted it to be like a lighter, campier film. And so he still got the credit, um, but 
And Gene Hackman refused to shoot any more scenes with the new director. And so they had to use all the footage from the original one. And so it can get really complicated because... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, because you're like, well, who, what? I can't shoot any new stuff. Or, or like, um, this was a different reason. This wasn't someone being fired. But when Justice League was made, it was shot mm-hmm. by Zack Snyder. And then he had a tragedy in his family and he came off the project and Joss Whedon took over and Joss Whedon's got a very different sensibility, um, very different tone. And so he did loads of reshoots, which apparently the cast weren't very happy with. And then the movie they released wasn't brilliant mm. and was sort of in places sort of dark and in other places quite whimsical. Um, and then there was this fan campaign to release the Snyder cut. The, oh. and, and they did as they released a five hour cut. Interestingly, they did it on, and I think part of the reason, in fact, Actually, maybe the sole reason they did it was it was during the pandemic and they were looking for exclusive content to go on HBO Max, which is the streaming service that um, that the, uh, Warner Brothers have. And so they, yeah, it was like, you know, one of the reasons you should subscribe to the service, you get new movies, but you also get these kind of movies, these five hour movies. Wow. Um, and I, I watched it with a, a couple of, <laughs> with a whole load of friends over a couple of nights. We did it in two parts because five hours is too much for us. And I got to say, it was really, really fun was to it? sit there and watch an epic like, it's not even a movie at that point. It's just uh, an overwhelming stream of, like, I don't know, images and, and, and like, ancient laments and, and just bizarreness. But it was so strange seeing these two versions of the film. The short um, Whedon version, which is kind of whimsical. And things, and then you see another version that has some things that are entirely different because the, the visual effects mean that you can make an entirely different... Yeah movie and then some things that are exactly the same but have a different context and it's really interesting That's lesson i mean if any of you is interested in directing like watch the two movies and see how they did it differently but mm. so, so yeah but i mean at least they've replaced it's only a week into filming for this new fast x film so yes. I, I suspect it's pretty obvious justin won't get the directing credit and we'll see i mean i'm sure you're on tender hooks as to see whether this film i mean we'll see whether it'll be finished in time because it's supposed <laughs> to come out in a year and so they haven't shot it yet. So they're going to have to be very fast and furious. For that. <laughs> yeah, that's going to have to be their mantra. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Well, maybe by that time I will have watched the rest of the franchise. I'm umming and ahhing. You know, we all we're all a bit sort of lax sometimes, aren't we, with um, uh, letting children watch. <laughs> that are a, a little bit too grown up for them sometimes. I'm wondering whether it's sexual content in Fast and Furious, or whether that's a completely different thing. I think, I mean, or it's not that kind of It's not yeah. Fast and Furious sex, no. no. It's, um, although I'm sure they'll do a Fast and Furious After Dark or something. <laughs> like, that'll be number 43 when they run out of ideas. 50, 50 Shades of Fast and Furious. But um, but no, it's it's all fighty fighty and blow up. Fighty fighty. Like, you know, explosion, yeah. explosion. Boom, I boom. mean, probably my. <laughs> My stepson is exposed to that playing Fortnite, to be honest. Oh, I'm sure it's less violent than Fortnite, yeah. Honestly, uh, I just hear him from the kitchen sometimes. He's online with his friends. Oh, come on, let's just quickly blow this building up. Oh, I'm just... Got, sorry, I'll come in a minute. I've just got to kill this guy. I to mean, be fair, he sounds pretty polite. And I, I think you can't avoid him getting exposed to violence, but you can affect how polite he is. So I take He that is as a the win. most polite assassin I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> Um, ep, uh, uh, question three. Uh, question three? Yeah, question three. This is a question for you. Uh, <clears throat> story three. There's talk that cinemas could soon offer variable pricing. Now, what does this mean and how can it work, please? <laughs> well, uh, I, the, it's one of those things where some people are using very precise language and some people are using very imprecise language. And as a pedant, 
Uh, mm. It really bothers me. So there is a difference okay. between variable pricing and dynamic pricing. Obviously, I mean, I, I, I know we all know this. explain the two, but... please? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It took me a bit of time just to really get my head around it. And then also I had to reread all the articles to work out whether I trusted the journalist to be using the words correctly or not, or whether it was like they were using literally to mean figuratively. Um, so yeah, variable pricing would mean yeah. that like a different movie costs a different price. And so you go and see the Bond film and it might cost a couple of quid extra. Yeah. And so like that's been fairly new and we kind of like but it's it's a fairly new innovation and we do have what they've nicknamed it the blockbuster tax because usually it's just like the bond film costs two pounds more or whatever um but dynamic pricing we've had in some form already for a long time like if you go and see something on a wednesday afternoon you expect it to cost less than when you see on a saturday night right so it's a mix of those things but i can get on board with that i think yeah, I mean, we get it in other things, don't we? I mean, we? I mean, where we do like it is where we can go in early and say, or plan ahead and get a cheaper rail card or flight or whatever. Yeah. Um, and where we don't like it is like surge pricing, where you've got like a, an Uber or a Lyft, and then you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh my God, why is it costing a hundred bucks? Like it's like because <laughs> it's suddenly started raining and everyone's whipped out their Uber at the same time. Yeah. And so it's like it depends whether we benefit or not. Like I, I'm sure uh, older people and students and stuff are like, oh, I get a discount, that's great, but the rest of us are paying like premium prices and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, but it is kind of weird, like when you sort of st- take a step back and think about like how movies are sold, we, we pretty much pay the same price no matter how expensive the movie is. So if you're seeing Fast and the Furious 27... Um, <laughs> This time, this time they're really annoyed, or whatever the <laughs> subtitle will be. Like, um, super pissed off, part four. Uh, then it's costing two hundred million, or whatever, because that's what some of the more recent ones have cost. Uh, but then you and you pay whatever your cinema ticket price is. But if you if that's sold out, and you you go to see some film that one can, that's like this independent film that costs half a million pounds, or maybe a few million more realistically, you pay the same price, and you sit in the same seat, and it takes the same two hours or four hours if it's one of the more recent blockbusters um but you then so it's kind of weird because you wouldn't do that in a restaurant yeah you know the fancy restaurants booked up so you go down the road to the cheaper restaurant you know to the mm. to the less fancy one you'd expect mm-hmm. to pay less um and also then you've got different kinds of seats and different screens and so what's happening now and this is kind of a good thing when it comes to the industry because it's they're now worrying about things other than the pandemic yeah. So the last two years, everyone's been like, oh, my God, existential crisis. Will there be cinemas? You know, will there be us? Um, can I afford to keep sending my kids to posh school? Um, whereas now they're like, OK, so we we think cinemas will exist. So let's go back to some of these experiments they were doing. So AMC, the biggest chain in the in the world, they've been doing variable pricing for a little bit. So that in various mm-hmm. cities, they're charging an extra surcharge of like 50 cents or a dollar or one and a half dollars to a ticket for certain what they call high appeal movies. And they started doing it with Batman this year as well. Um, but that's only in some cities. But then Cinemark are doing something even more interesting where they're kind of using algorithms and data to try and work out what the most amount of money someone would pay is. And it feels like when you go to the market or, or something and then you're like, mm. how much is that? And they're like, how much you got? <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 I feel like I'm about to be screwed. And they're like, they look at your shoes and they look at your wallet and you're like, no, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Uh, and so like there's a little bit of that going on um and on the one hand that's kind of cool because uh why does it cost this you know maybe these bigger movies should cost more than a small movie um and then also maybe it'd be good for indie movies if it did cost less because maybe more people would go and see indie movies if they were cheaper but there are things that are kind of worrying about it because 
number one, it will suggest that some movies are better than others. And I, mm-hmm. I, whilst I've been saying that some movies cost more than others, there's no indication that they're the better ones, if anything, no. the inverse. Um, <laughs> it might teach people to wait until movie prices go down. So if they use like a an EasyJet model where like it's really expensive on the opening weekend and then it gets a lot cheaper, people might like wait and, you know, like just wait a few weeks and then, then go and see it, which is mm-hmm. a bad thing. Uh, the way most cinemas work, because they've been getting rid of staff over the years, trying to make it as sort of like have lower and lower staff costs, it means that in most cinemas, in all practical terms, once they tear your ticket, you walk past five or six screens, maybe 20 screens or whatever. And so you might buy a ticket for the cheap movie and sneak into the expensive one. So like there are operational concerns, which seem small, but like if everyone started doing that, then that would be weird. It'd be like if you paid for your meal in advance and then you got to walk and sit down wherever you want and order anything off the menu, like, of course, you're going to get the steak or whatever. I'm getting the lobster. Yeah, I'm totally doing that. Um, we'll put it on the podcast budget. It's fine. We'll tell we'll, we'll tell guys the cheap Which is one. massive. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, and but then, then there's this sort of uh, issues around like uh, the people that, although the cinemas are in charge of how much they charge, like officially, legally, actually, they can charge how much they want. What they do with that money is they split it with the studios and the distributors and stuff. And so, and each con, each like deal with it, we, with each new movie and with each cinema chain, they have to negotiate each deal brand new each time for, for legal reasons. They're not allowed to like, just like block book it, you know, to stop antitrust. It's an antitrust thing. And that means that like, if they suddenly offer, I mean, I think Stelios was offering easy cinema. I can't, I don't have the details of this, but I think it was like 10 years or so, maybe a bit longer ago. And they were offering one pound cinema tickets. And the people who were most annoyed with that were the distributors and the um, uh, studios because the what would happen is that ticket price would be split between the cinema and the studios, so both would get very, very little money. But mm-hmm. then Stelios would sell you the Coke and popcorn at the full rate, which they don't share with anybody else. So I, I'm not saying they would definitely do this, but cinemas might want you to come for free so long as you bought the snacks because they get all the snack money, and that's a lot of money. Um, whereas the, any money they take at the box office, they're sharing. And sometimes they're losing what well, they're giving over half of it away, way more than half if you take off, you know, VAT. So you buy a £10 cinema ticket, £2 is the sales tax, mm-hmm. and then £8 is left. And then if it's an opening weekend and it's a big movie, and it's a Disney movie, Disney will be getting 60% of that money. So Odeon are getting, you know, less than like three or four pounds for that £10 ticket. But then they sell you like a, whatever, a five pound popcorn and the popcorn itself is costing pennies. And so Odeon are making most of their money from the concessions, um, but the studios need the box office. So that's a bit complicated. And Mm. so I don't know. We'll see if this works. I mean, I don't know. Cinema tickets are expensive. And would would you be more, would you be keen to have like much more thought process when it comes to like almost like a real menu of this movie costs this one, this one's three pounds more, that one's two pounds less, but could you come back in an hour? Do you want that? Or do you want to just be able to pay the ticket price and just have no stress about it? I mean, to be honest, I think if I want to see a movie, I'll just go and see it, whatever the price is. Like, it, well, not whatever the price <laughs> Shh, is. but They'll hear you and they'll absolutely no, make know, it more. But, they're relying on this. If I want to go and see uh, the Hunger Games prequel, for example, and I really want to see it at the cinema... I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I usually go to the cinema because I want to see a certain film. I don't think I'm going to go to the cinema what's on. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm probably most likely to just 
you know, go, oh, fuck, it's that much. Um, <laughs> but then well, still probably go or just go, oh, wait till it comes out on streaming. So well, you, you are price elastic then because you, you, you will actually yes, move with I've it. I've always been told that. I think that's one of the first things I think about you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, but it's, there was actually a situation where um, before the pandemic, there was a view cinema in a I can't remember which town it was, a, a, a smaller Welsh town. And they weren't that far away from Cardiff. And But the Cardiff ticket prices were significantly cheaper at the Cardiff view. And the the um, Welsh villagers were like, this is, this is you're taking advantage of us. You're taking advantage oh. of the fact that it would take us an hour to drive there. But it would be cheaper. And views, Well, View's defence was, well, yeah, <laughs> it's what we do for a living. There's more competition in Cardiff, right. so we have to reduce it. And this is what... I mean, this is. I mean, I know some consumer affairs shows um, were trying to, and I know this because they were trying to get me on the show to say this is outrageous. And I was like, well, I don't. It might be outrageous, I don't, but it sounds like business. It sounds like where well, right. there's more competition in in urban centres, there are more cinemas, and I can walk two blocks down the road. I'm going to mm. think about price and comfort of seat, and you know. Whereas if it's the only cinema in town, I understand. I don't support it, but I understand why they're charging more. Yeah. But. I think the, the the danger for me, I always worry about, is that part of the appeal of cinema is the low stress nature of it. It's yes. just easy. You just roll up there. It doesn't matter. Yes. You don't really buy in advance very often. Friends can join you or not. It's not like yeah. theatre where you want to get good seats or you have to buy it in this advance. This sounds more like going to the theatre. Yeah, and you shop around a bit. Theater, and then, theater. to be honest, that's an extra level of stress. That I just, it is, I, yeah. It I, makes it more of an event. Exactly. So I don't know what will happen there, but I, I mean, I think it's one of the few things cinemas can't control what films are coming to them, which is why they get mm-hmm. so excited when Tom Cruise tells them a good film's coming. But they And they can't really charge much more for Coke and Popcorn. They can't really Please. do much more else. Mm. So this is sort of the frontier of what they can do. And so I kind of understand why they're putting all the effort into it. And um, I think do as a consumer... Do you think it'll work? I think, honestly... It's a lot like what you just said. And I think you're you're quite typical of many people, myself included, who's just like, I don't really know what it costs. I have a vague sense. Mm-hmm. And I have a sense that one costs more than the other. But I know that this, the UK cinema industry often say, like, the uh, the average price of a cinema ticket in the UK is £6 something. And I, I mean, I, I know I live in London, so it's a bit more expensive. But mm. I always think, that's just ridiculous. And then I look at the, how they work out that math. And it's not untrue. They ha- they're not lying. But what they've done is they've taken the total box office and divided it by the number of people that have gone to see movies. And so that's true math. That's really what's happening. But the problem is that that excludes things like bulk tickets, kids' prices, uh, like Meerkat Wednesdays, whatever you buy one, get one free, all this sort of stuff. And so actually it's suppressing the real average, which is probably nearer £10 something. And in London, it's probably 12, 13 pounds something. And if it's an everyman cinema, it's probably 106. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, so it, it's... I, I I don't want cinema to feel like a really expensive thing, like theatre. I don't mm. want it to feel like that. But at the same time, it's I don't know what it should cost. Like maybe twenty pounds is the right price if it's a lovely cinema. It's a brand new movie, and Vin Diesel is going to be killing many people just for me, you know, like <laughs> including the director. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe that is what a movie should cost because it's a whole night out. Yeah, um, I just hope it doesn't become elitist, like, but basically the theatre is now because you know. It's very difficult to go and get a decent seat uh, and see something live. Well, exactly. Under 50 quid. So there's a diversity issue here as well, which is the. the, And especially because cinema is one of the cheapest, even if it's not cheap, it's one of the cheapest nights out that you can do. Mm. Uh, And so when you uh, increase it just by a little bit, it'll have a much bigger disproportionate effect on the people that are um, on the lower end. And cinema itself, 
um, is actually when you look at the socioeconomic, you use the sort of slightly outdated idea of like ABCD, uh, ABC1, you know, the social class structure of like how the uh, ONS, the um, National Statistics Unit in the UK, how they uh-huh. class people. Almost all cinema going is mm-hmm. slightly posher, slightly posher than the general population. Here's, here's a oh. quiz for you then. Which genre? So yes. Period films have, and historical films, have the poshest audience. In, I, uh, I believe in, it. Yeah. What, do you, what genre do you think is the only genre that actually matches its social makeup of its audience in the UK, actually matches the population? There's one genre that's only one. All the rest are posher than the population. Oh. What genre of movie? All the so all the rest. All the other genres have yeah. a posher audience in cinemas than are in the population walking around. By a little degree, sometimes like like uh, period films are much posher. Yeah. But um, there's only one genre where you look at the split between all these different types, social classes of people, and you look at the split of population, and you look at the split of people seeing those movies. Kids' uh, films, I think, animations. It's not, and I think the oh. part part of the reason there is that that's an expensive day out, right? A couple of kids, a couple Fannies. of adults. Oh, it's I expensive. thought I was being clever, of course. No, it's a good guess, though. No, no, it's a really good guess no, because you, you imagine that. I failed. But, <laughs> well, if you had seen Sonic 2, you'd know that. Oh. So you only have yourself to blame. No. <laughs> uh, do, do you want a second guess or shall I tell you? What do you reckon? Yeah, go on, tell me. Horror. Horror is the most illegalitarian egalitarian genre. It matches really? the population. Really? I would not have guessed that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because horror is also the genre that has no, correla- no, no meaningful correlation between the quality of the movie and how much money it makes. And so I think that what's happening is this isn't like um, a snobbiness around, oh, I'll go and see good movies and critics like certain kinds of movies. And it's all part of this mix of the kinds of movies that um, critics like that we all want to be going to see and people are willing to spend lots of money to see in cinemas and whatever is slightly posher than we are as a population. And also that we probably watch on Netflix or whatever. And horror Uh is one of the ones that just seems to resist that and seems to be just about, is it a good time? Have people enjoyed watching it? Even if it's a piece of rubbish doesn't matter did i enjoy it so that's kind of interesting oh that's so interesting (laughs) oh i'd love i'd love to know more about i'd love to delve more into the different genres and the the ones that make the most money and the ones that uh yeah the sort of people they attract that's really interesting I'm sure at Downton Abbey in uh, two, whatever it is, a new era that's opening that's right now. That's just going to be my mum and her friends. Yeah. <laughs> and how, how, how posh is your mum and her friends? Um, very middle class and um, basically born around that time anyway. So, <laughs> Well, I, I've, I got in trouble. I used to, whenever I was on the radio, I used to tease my mum about um, how old she was. Um, hi, mum. And so uh, I'm going to do, do the reverse here and say that she's incredibly posh. And so uh, and this is you know, building her up. And when she sees Downton Abbey, she's going to raise the the social class of the entire audience. That's just some points I'm doing. Just to, Lovely. That's yeah, lovely we'll that of you. Works. Does we'll your mum, my mum still, I'm still trying to explain to my mum what a podcast is. <laughs> I can't well, find it in my phone. Everything's in her phone, not on it. Bless her. Well, my mum's found it somehow, but she still oh. thinks I'm un- unemployed or unemployable. I don't, you know, it's oh, very, very different. Hi, Stephen's mum. Hello. Hi, hi mum. <laughs> we'll My mum won't be listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, that's such an that is really really interesting. I'm really looking forward to um, hearing more about those. Horror is a um, 
a very interesting genre to me. I used to absolutely love it. Now I really wouldn't watch it out of choice, but I used to love to get, you know, feel scared. Not anymore. I think the world's scary enough. I was going to say, um, get enough of that at home and on the news, absolutely, don't you? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, such a brilliant episode. Thank you so much, Stephen. And thank you to you guys for listening. Uh, if you like Show Me The Money, then give it a follow in your podcast app and leave us a review and rating if you have time um, and only if it's going to be five stars. Thank you. <laughs> uh, if you've got a question that you would like answered on the show, then you can email us at showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. That's showmethemoneypod at gmail.com. And Stephen will answer any question <laughs> you like, film-related or not. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get an email from my mum now, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, brilliant. What are you doing with your yeah, life? Yeah, are you eating well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much for listening, guys, and have a wonderful week. Until we see you next time, bye. Bye. Bye.